Hey, welcome to Life 2.0 Podcast. I'm John St. Augustine. Glad to have you joining me from anywhere and everywhere around planet Earth. Time to go up the down staircase in the outdoor. Make sense out of the senseless. And if at all possible, we'll find the obvious buried in the absurd. Let's go. Thanks for checking back in here at Life 2.0. Uh, this is uh, one of those shows where I am so working without a net, it's not even funny. You know, I always talk about uh, not turning this microphone on unless I have something I think that has a modicum of value. And when was the last time you heard the word modicum? Which means just a little bit. Uh, a modicum of value. And there are so many things going through my mind this morning on this, uh, this beautiful Saturday um, that I'm trying to organize them in some semblance of order that they might make sense out of the senseless. And we'll see if I get there or not. Yesterday, we went to a book sale in downtown Chicago. It's, a, it's something we do every year. My highly significant other is uh, a bookie. So if you're a food person, you're a foodie. I think book people are bookies, which is another term we could talk about at some point. Has to do with gambling, doesn't it? But I'm talking about people who are just book aficionados. I mean, serious book aficionados. This thing opens at 10 o'clock in the morning once a year. It's downtown Chicago at the Newberry Library, and there are people lined up around the block waiting to get in. It's like, you know, you see these Christmas Eve videos where people, the doors open up, people rush in to buy toys and stuff. This is what it's like for people who love books. Now listen, full disclaimer here, uh, I've written three books, and I think books are really, really important. They're, they're kind of like the building blocks of a life if you do you know, uh, enough diligence and read things that can, can build you up. We'll get to that in just a second. But this, I pale in comparison to these folks. This is serious. Now, I don't know how many people there have ever written a book. Does it really matter? I'm just fascinated at the, the lining up and ready to go and no cuts and in you, with doors open and off they go. And there's three rooms all broken down into categories and like that. So my role in this is, is pretty specific. I'm kind of like the support mule. Um, I love reading, but when I work so much on writing, reading isn't fun for me. It was when I was younger because I hadn't started writing anything. And um, I really enjoyed biographies and autobiographies and much more than fiction. I think our lives are, uh, if we look at them in a certain way, is, is the stuff of legend. If, we, if There's pieces of our lives I don't think we always recognize. And it's not about living an, an extraordinary life. It's about living an ordinary life in an extraordinary way for me. So I've always been attracted to those larger than life figures who made their mark. From when I was a little kid, I used to read this uh, series of books called Childcraft. And one volume in particular was called Great Men and Famous Deeds. It also had stories about famous women and their deeds as well. I don't know why they just called it Great Men, but I suppose back in 1940s when it came out, that's the way they rolled. And to read the stories of these uh, larger-than-life figures, these, these characters, for lack of a better term, that found something in themselves that was worthy of living at, at, at a level larger than themselves. I, I refer to Teddy Roosevelt quite often on this show and other shows I've done, and I got a couple pictures of him here in my office. He, to me, is the epitome of a life well lived. Uh, the good, the bad, the ugly. This guy, you know, obviously made incredible 
impact as the president of the United States for two terms. Uh, the, the list goes on and on. I'm not going to get into that here, but it's just let's just suffice to say that he was the right guy at the right time uh, and did the right things, in my opinion, for the most part. Nobody gets it 100% right. And he had a lot of you know despair and tragedy in his life. His, his wife and his mother died on the same day when he was just a young man. So, you know, it's, it takes both of those ends of the spectrum to live a life that has that grit to it. So TR, of course, is there. And, and Jacques Cousteau was a big deal for me. I, I read everything he wrote. I, I just found this guy fascinating. He's, let's go under the water. No one had ever really done that before. So he was a co-creator of the Aqualung. And I thought, how do you do that? And there's just been so many more that uh, I, I read in a book that, that gave me some impetus and insight to myself that maybe there's something I'm supposed to do with my life than just complain about things, which is the norm, isn't it? So in all of that, uh, even though I'm the support mule to carry books out when uh, tea's done, these sections that are set up at the Newberry Library are just fascinating. So there's this whole one biography and then there's an autobiography and there's history and all this kind of stuff and everybody's got their thing. And I, I happened to be standing for a while at the uh, the biographies, and it was like a whole table of great men and women's famous deeds. I mean, politicians and athletes and astronauts and uh, everything you can imagine, titans of industry and, and, and all of that, all had their take, or somebody had written about their lives in a way that said this is what their life was about, this is what they put their efforts to. Some of them are still alive, most of them were gone. And there's a route here. Maybe there's a path here as a reader that you could follow that may give you some um, or shed some light on your own journey. So those things have great moment to me. And I just looked at, there had to be 500 books there, if not more. Just add that into the thousands that were for sale. And it, I started having these thoughts, and I've had these thoughts before. You know, writing three books is not even a drop in the literary bucket in the, in, in the scheme of how many books are printed every year, that type of thing. The, my last book I did was in 2018. And no, I'm sorry, 2019, late 2019. Phenomenon, I did that in 2019. Uh, Living an Uncommon Life, my first book came out in 06, and Every Moment Matter came out in 2010. And I don't know that I got a fourth one in me. We'll see. Some people obviously just crank them out like it's, you know, they're, they're making toast. I, I'm not that kind of writer. So we'll see if something else comes from that. But I was just taken with the amount just in that one room of what had been created for us to, to digest and ingest as readers. And how is it possible that we're still seemingly in so many ways stuck in this rotation and repetition of our lives? Not just us personally, but also as a society and as a world. These great people have come along and either someone else has told their story or they've told their story about how they, they overcame and, and, and beat the odds and did all these incredible things all validated, you know, through their efforts over the years and verified. How is it that we're not further along the evolutionary spectrum, I ask myself? You go to the self-help section, and it was another thousand books. And everything you can think of, everything you could possibly think of, from, you know, fighting alcoholism to how to earn a million dollars to making your health better, to heal your relationships, how to forgive people... Everything that we're up against as a species, somebody's written a book about it 
on how to overcome that. And yet here we are. It seems to be sometimes that we're just spinning our wheels. So what's the gap between what has been written, what is read, and the action that might be taken? I don't have an answer for that. I wish I did. I mean, it boggles my mind sometimes that there's so much evidence on how to overcome something, you name it, fill in the blank, and yet we struggle at so many levels thinking we're the only person going through something or, you know, there's no way out of this. And yet certainly there is a way. Somebody's already overcome, if not multitudes of people have overcome what you might be dealing with. And as an author myself, and I've had people read my books and respond to me and tell me how much it helped them, once it's out of my hands, I have no say-so on, on the impact it may or may not have. But I will tell you for myself that I've written all these books for me first. I have to a, just kind of get them out of my, my mind. They're in there. There's something there to be uh, uh, gathered, put together in some semblance of order, hopefully, that makes sense. And then to put it out in the world is kind of my... Um, the way I pay for the space I take up on the planet to some greater or lesser degree. These are the things I have found value in. These are the people, in the case of living an uncommon life, these are the the people that I spent time with. These are the things that uh, I've learned from them. These are the things that you could learn from them. And you could apply those in your life and your life can change in a a direction that it's never been before. One of the most challenging things for me is when they, uh, you know, they categorize every book. And the last place I wanted my book was to be in self-help because it seems so self-helpy so motivationally like you know like motivational speakers if you just throw a bunch of positive quotes at people their lives will change i've never found that to be the case what i found to be the case is when it's the worst is when you can find out about the best in yourself and you have to hit these really low points and difficult points and challenging points and tough points to become something i go back to those stories in the um great men and famous deeds volume and women And it was in their most difficult times that they found out who they really were. It's not just easy peasy, you know, and and so much that stuff gets sold as if you just do these seven things, the eighth thing will come along and make it all better. And I've never just found that to be the case. It sells well, you know, 21 secrets to be wealthy. Well, maybe there's 27, maybe there's only one. I don't know. But I wrangle with my publishers in the first two books, the two book deal. I didn't want it in self-help and I got voted out because I'm not a publisher and I don't know the way of things. It just was a personal thing to me. Um, I guess it really doesn't matter what category they're put in. But what does matter is when somebody comes back to me and says, here, I found value in this and I was able to apply it over here and it changed my life this way. Then I know that the time, energy and effort that I put into it uh, was, was important, was worth it. But on the flip side of that or the front side of that is I had to live all that first in order to be able to record it, be a scribe for it. And there's always been a bit of a salvation piece in this for me. You know, uh, in school, I kind of make the joke that my best grades were lunch and gym. I was a little bit better student than that, but I certainly wasn't, you know, valedictorian or top 10 or none of that stuff. And that's not bad or good. It's just, I was a middle of the road guy who had a deep appreciation for life. And I was lucky enough that early in my life, these interventions were there in the form of books. There were, I was able to read about these people and I was just enamored with the fact that, that there's something to be done with the life we're given. You know, over the years I've done two Ted talks and my second Ted talk was in Ontario back in 2018. And I did this whole thing called human math, 
My dad was a banker, so I'm really well aware of numbers. Doesn't mean I was really good at math. It just means I was really well aware of numbers. And one of the things that have stuck with me over the years when in terms of living our thing that we came here to do, and I think each of us has something to do, and a lot of us don't know what that is, so we just go off and do other things. And it's when, you, when you're in the lane and you know what you're supposed to do and you're doing it, you just know it. You just know it. Uh, and for me, I didn't have any idea about writing or speaking or radio, but when I got into it, it clicked and I knew it. That's why I'm still here. But I think about all of that and the pieces that go into making that work are, are mind boggling to me. So those first two books about, you know, having some sort of sense of self as it relates to human math is that it comes down to a couple really simple equations for me. If you're really lucky, you just get about 28,000 days to be alive, like 28,400 days, depending, you know, it depends on where you live. And if you're in Canada or the U S I had to adjust for the Canadians up there when I did this talk, but you get about 28,000 days. That's not a lot. And human math says is that because those days are not guaranteed, you never know how many days you're going to get. And we like to think everything is kind of locked in, you know, that the average life expectancy is 79 point whatever years, 77.6 years, 72 point. That kind of goes up and down, but that doesn't determine the quality of your life. It's just the length of it. And so what do we do with the days that we're given? And that's really the question, isn't it? We all know, everybody listening to this show, know people who've gotten far less than 28,000 days. And we may know a few people that got more than 28,000 days. But what do you do with those days? What is it you came here to do? And I think that to me is the, the ongoing question. I still feel every morning when I get up, there's something for me to do. There's something for me to add to this life thing, minuscule as it may be. It's one of the reasons I still do these shows. I mean, I do tomorrow, uh, I do a music show called The Tao of Music in Washington, D.C. And, and it's my attempt to kind of push back on the erosion of life with music, which has always worked for me. I am no Wolfman Jack. Might be a little Wolfman John, but I'm certainly not Wolf, Wolfman Jack. And if you know who Wolfman Jack is, thank you so much. Uh, but it's my attempt to have a little break from most of the work that I do, which is audio production and create these, these music shows, which I enjoyed immensely uh, and have the opportunity to, to add to, you know, that which holds things in, in balance, hopefully for people. And then I do a show at noon with uh, Jennifer Weigel, my gal pal and highly respected journalist and best-selling author. And we attempt to deconstruct to some degree, much like what I do here from different points of view, from both sides of the, of the aisle, and things like that. And uh, that's talk that matters is, is what we, we say about it. And those conversations with Jen are also part of like what I'm doing here. We're just trying to bring a little civility to the world and a little bit of wake up and smell the coffee and then drink it. What a concept. And speaking of that, I, I'm having coffee this morning, which I haven't had for over a month because of the COVID thing, meaning I just lost a taste for it. But this morning I made coffee. Eh, eh. Might come back, might not, we'll see. But all of this really, to me, comes down to that big why question. How is it possible and why are we so unable to move forward in so many different ways? You know, I talk with my daughter a couple times, three times a week, and, and her our conversations are highly motivated, charged, and I would say intelligent. She's very questioning, very curious. You know, she's very successful at her work, and she's always looking out into the world in similar 
to me saying, why is it this way? And where's the solutions for it to become better? And those conversations are, are what help fuel me to continue doing what I've been doing for so long. It also makes me feel really good that she has those thoughts in her heads about making things different and, and, and looking at the cycles in life. But why doesn't everybody think that way? I mean, how is it possible? So, listen, my, I'm going to use my daughter as a perfect example. She was born with a kidney uh, disease. It, they had to take her right kidney out when she was five. I gave her a kidney when she was 13. It lasted till she was 28. She went on dialysis for two and a half, three years. When a second miracle comes, miracle comes along and it's a, a, a stranger donor, um, through a donation program, my ex-wife was able to donate to somebody who donated to somebody who donated to somebody, and my daughter got a kidney. And she's doing fantastic. It's been over a year, year and a half now, almost two years. I think it'll be two years in January. So she's well aware of the great challenges of life as our family is, of, of the fragility of it, the difficulty of it, the challenge of it. But she's never once been a victim of it. And that is learned behavior. Not mean she's any better or worse than anybody else, but she has learned behavior that being a victim of it. She has her moments, but she doesn't live in it. And I think that's the difference. So what is that? Somebody who's born with something like that and somebody who's born with something far less that feels like life done them wrong and they're a victim of circumstance. It's a mindset. I believe, and it's part of the self-actualization process. That The more self-actualized you become, all of a sudden the circumstances of the things that you quote happen to you, you start to realize they're happening for you for reasons. You're the common denominator in your life. Doesn't matter who you are, where you're at, or what you're up against. You're the common denominator. So those are pretty heady things to ask most people to consider. The average reading comprehension level in the United States is about seventh to eighth grade. That's the comprehension level. You can read, but what are you comprehending? And while the internet is a, a great tool, you know, I mean, when I was a kid growing up, you have to go look at the, the Webster's Dictionary to get, you know, a definition of something. You have to go to the Encyclopedia Britannica, the thousands of volumes to find out what happened last year. Now everything's instant. We should be far smarter than we are. We should be more together than we are. It's become the opposite in so many ways. All that it has done is brought us into demographics and pushed us apart and have us arguing with people we really don't even know. I see so much of that. So all this information has been out there since they invented the printing press. Come on. And thinking about how those people who came way before us made their way in life and found their way in life should be a clarion call to the rest of us to be able to do the same. And yet we don't. You know, as Bucky Fuller said, technology is far surpassing our humanity. Just because we can have all these great toys doesn't mean we're getting any better. It just means we have all these great toys. I had to buy a cell phone not long ago and because they went from 4G to 5G. Do you remember when 4G was going to change everything? I don't know. I don't even recall 2G or 3G, but of course 4G was the thing. Not fast enough. Your mind's got to be faster. It's got to be stimulated quicker. So now we're at 5G. And because we went to 5G, I can't use the phone I used to use, which was fine. And of course, my reptilian brainstem said, screw this. I don't care about any of this stuff. You know, I just remember when there was a phone on, in, in the kitchen with a 47-foot cord and your biggest choice was, do you want a black phone or a white phone? It was done. We, these choices we're making or having to make, they don't compute to me sometimes. So I have this new phone sitting here. 
definitely more technology than the first lunar module. There's no question about this little phone with these cameras and all the rest of this stuff uh, has more technology than the lunar module that what took a man to the moon and back. Just think about that. More technology in your cell phone than the first lunar module that got them to the surface of the moon. That's mind-blowing to me. But it's just kind of normal now, right? So that this information that is all around us can lead to transformation, but you have to have a mixture of inspiration in there as well. There's got to be a need and a want to change and, and to move forward. You know, one of the best books I've ever read was very unintentional. When I was 10 years old, we were visiting uh, relatives in Appleton, Wisconsin, in the Fox Valley area. My mom's from there. We go up there once a year uh, for a week or two, and it was just fantastic. It was get out of the city as a kid and, and run around to the fields and all kind of shoot guns and chase goats. It was great. And in 1967, 68, so I would have been uh, nine going on 10, we were up on vacation. My dad bought a razor. I believe it was a Schick Persona razor. And there was a free book with that razor. It was called Instant Replay, The Green Bay Diary of Jerry Kramer. And my dad, a devout Bears fan, brought the thing back to the hotel we stayed in. This little motel, I should say, was on right off of Highway 41 called the Dreamland Motel. Doesn't exist anymore, unfortunately, but it was just a, it's another piece of the magical puzzle of, of being up north. But my dad gets this book back and he looks at it, eh, throws it in the garbage. My dad was a book aficionado. We had a library in our home. The fact that he hated the Packers that much kind of said everything. So he threw it in the, can, in the garbage can. And when he wasn't looking, I fished it out and I stuck it in my bag. And in a three-hour drive, from Appleton, Wisconsin, back to Chicago, I devoured Instant Replay, The Green Bay Diary of Jerry Kramer. Now, I was only 10 years old, like I said, so this Bear Packer thing had no moment for me yet. But here's what happened. Uh, the, the lessons or the teachings of Vince Lombardi, who was a great motivator, and he was using basically the, uh, the lessons or the teachings of the ancient Greeks and all the gods and all the great ones, these fundamental building block things about becoming a better human being and using football as that, as that um, platform to do that got into me. It got into me at the right time. And it was a huge influence in my life. So that I still have that copy. The, t the cover's taped on, you know, but I still have it. I, I try to write, read it once a year. And I would never have imagined, of course, the magical piece of this that when I was 10 years old reading that book, it had such a profound effect on me as it has for millions of people over the years. It's a fantastic book by Kramer and the late great Dick Shep. I had no idea knowing that 30 years later or 28 years later, whatever it was, um, Jerry and I would connect on a project and been friends for the last 30 plus years. And we speak once every week or so, if not every other week. And so I was talking with him last week and here he is at 86. And he's still talking about the fundamentals of having a successful life and the very things that shifted his life as a guy who came out of Sandpoint, Idaho and got drafted by the Green Bay Packers the same year I was born. He took these lessons from Lombardi to heart and they changed his life. He went into the Hall of Fame of in 2018. We were there to see him and it was such a, an incredible moment. This kid from nowhere, he was a great ball player, but he became a greater person because of Vince Lombardi. So how is it possible that a guy like that absorbs these lessons 
from Vince Lombardi who passed away in 1970. This goes into a book. I pick it up, you know, in 1968 and they have an effect on me. And then those get passed on to the people that are around me. It's the ripple effect really. But what's the difference between something like that happening and people and my dad just throwing the book away? Man, it doesn't care. And I used to tell him, Dad, you have no idea what's in it. He goes, yeah, it's about the Packers. I'm like, yeah, but it's not about the Packers. It's not even about football. It's about becoming the best version of yourself possible. And in some ways, football has done that for me over the years. I'm so looking forward tomorrow night to uh, a reading with some of my college football teammates. I talk about high school football a lot because it was such an impact on me. Uh, and then I talk about semi-pro football or semi-parole football because that's where I think I really hit it. You know, I was, if I could have been the height and weight that I was at semi-pro when I was younger, a little bit younger than that, maybe things have been different. But I don't often talk about the college aspect very much. And it's kind of the sandwich in between uh, high school and playing that semi-pro game that was is pretty high level stuff. But tomorrow night I get a chance to hang out with those guys and we all have extracted lessons from some of our uh, time on the gridiron to a greater or lesser degree. I just don't know what the, the, the gear is. What is the thing that makes someone a victim of circumstance or a victor over circumstances? Except for that it's got to be a mindset. It's got to be a perspective. It's got to be reinforced constantly. I will never forget, and I've told my daughter this a few times. She was five years old, six years old. We had just had this surgery that was taking place uh, to take her kidney out. And I had to get a paper signed. I can't remember what exactly it was for because I had insurance. My wife at the time had insurance. But if you've ever dealt with this stuff, it's not like it is on a TV commercial. Sure, just get insurance. You're covered. It doesn't work that way. And I had to get this paper signed to help. Somehow we were living in Chicago at the time to have the state of Illinois pick up a piece of this. And I don't recall all the, all the deal. But because she was young and I, I, it was all, it's pretty foggy at this point. All I had to do was get this paper signed. And I was wait in the waiting room. I got called in. I told the woman what I needed. She goes, well, I can sign this paper. She goes, but if you sign this paper, your daughter will be declared disabled and she can get, you know, 1500 bucks a month till she's 20 or one years old. And I thought, well, why would I do that? And she's, well, because you can get $1,500 a month till she's 21. You could use it for college. You could, she goes, you know, it just, it's called SSI. It's like a, it's like a, a disability payment. And I thought to myself, my daughter's five. And she, I, I know she's going to, you know, we have this kidney thing. I hardly think she's disabled. And if I put that label on her, if I go back and tell her for the next 20 years or 19 years or 15 years or 10 years or whatever this thing would run, that you're getting this money because you're disabled, what would that have done to her mindset? And yet there are people that are happy to take that. And I think once you, once you take on that and, and put that label on yourself, you become that. We become what we think about all day long. That's as old as the hills. What you focus on the most becomes the strongest thing in your life. And so if I'd have said, sure, I'll take the 1500 bucks from the government and I'll put it in the bank or use it for whatever because I was her guardian, uh, but she's disabled. And you know, Amanda, you kind of got to stay disabled here in order to get this money. It would have been devastating for her in the long term. I couldn't do it. So obviously I didn't do it. And we've had conversations around that. And I can't imagine if ever reinforcing the fact that just because physically she was born with something that is challenging and difficult doesn't mean her disabled. I think there's a huge difference there. It's all about mindset. So kind of wrapping this up, it's been a little rambling for me. As I told you, I warned you up front, there's a lot going on in my brain today, with just a hint of caffeine. And I think all the answers are out there, kids. 
to any question you could possibly have, the answer's already there somewhere. The question is whether you're willing to accept the answer and then act on it and move forward on it. That's really all it is. When somebody writes back to me, uh, as they have in the past, that reading my first book especially, which was about you know, profiles of people I've worked with that had, had done some amazing things and the things I learned from them and that possibly there was something you know, to be gained by the reader, uh, I've had people say, I've, you know, I've, I've gotten out of relationships I shouldn't have been in. Uh, I started my own business and I'm thriving. You know, all these offshoots of things that I could have never predicted by simply going through the process of writing a book. So I take satisfaction on some level that, you know, it, I have all these books in the world. There's three of them. They're floating all over the place. And for me, it harkens back to my days of reading those books of the great men and famous deeds, that whole childcraft series. And in the days when I thought that, my gosh, you know, if you could live a life that's worth writing about, that's the most important thing you can do in a good way. There's a lot of people live their lives in ways that are they're written about and is not good. I'm talking about the positive here. We all have that somewhere in our stance and our time and our presence here. There are things that are worth writing about because your life is that. You may not see it because you're looking from the inside out, but I guarantee to you, people who know you will look from the outside in and go, you don't even see this, do you? You don't see the things that you've done. You don't see the things you've created. You don't see the differences you've made. And maybe that's okay that you don't. You don't have to go around boasting on it. But the point being is we have that. And I think once you connect with that, that's where that self-actualization comes in. And it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter. It's not something that happens in a certain time frame. It's a lifelong process. Even every time I do this show, every single time I do this show, I go through another layer of stuff. I made a promise. I heard in my head when I took a walk back in 1996, I heard it clear as a bell, John, go on the radio. I don't know whose voice it was. I don't really care at this point. I've never once heard John, don't go on the radio anymore. Never one time. And so I continued to do this because some part of me said, this is what you're supposed to do. Whether there's three people listening to this or three million, it's all the same. It's all, you never know. But if I don't do this, then I don't become self-actualized. I don't fulfill what I'm here to do. And when I don't do these things, I kind of become like um, spiritually constipated. I get antsy and I know I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. So if this gets out, and something in here I said that makes a difference, uh, gives you a better perspective on something or has you looking at, a, at something in a different way, is worth it. It's worth me getting up at five o'clock in the morning. I do it anyway. Might as well turn the microphone and have a little chat, don't you think? Anyway, I am so thankful for the time that you spend with me uh, once a week and especially the people who have been with me since day one as subscribers and the people who have come along later in the game. They find enough value that every month they plunk down 20 bucks to fund this effort, which is roughly the same amount of cost to get a pizza at Rocky's right up the street here. So to me, it's 20 bucks. Pizza's gone in five minutes. 20 bucks, they get a whole month's worth of programming, four to six shows. And because they do that, other people get a chance to listen as well. It's kind of the PBS model. They get that they're investing in something that may be helping people they don't even know. That's what paying it forward's all about. That's how the world really changes. That's how the world really changes in my opinion, experience, and observation. So have a great day. I sure appreciate you taking the time to listen. Be well, safe travels. Until next time, adios.